everyone. This is the Sound Health Radio Show, where we talk about the crossroads of the environment and our health, with Richard Talk to Me Guy, and Sherry Edwards is working on the SoundHealthPortal.com. I'd suggest going to the SoundHealthPortal.com, scrolling down just a bit, and clicking on the Watch How button. You will see a short video explaining the how to record and submit your first recording because that really helps you rather than figuring out as you're doing it. I just think seeing the short how-to is really helpful. Then go back to the soundtoothwork.com, scroll down to the current active campaigns, such as Corona conflicts, bio diet, or PTSD, TBI, and there are others, and choose one that is of interest for you. Click on a campaign, meaning one of those, Corona conflict or such, Click on the free vocal analysis, and the system will walk you through submitting your recording. You'll receive an email with your report back usually in one to three hours. And that'll give you a great experience. By, de- by doing the how-to first, it makes the process much easier. And the video is only about two or three minutes. It just explains everything because there's a lot of sort of new, like, click here, do that, speak to the microphone, record this long. It really helps to know all that going in. And that's all at soundhealthportal.com. To hear and share replays of the show about 20 to 30 minutes after you hear the outro music, you can go to talktomeguy.com, scroll down that page, and you'll see the show at the top of the episodes page. Currently, there are about 400, actually 401 shows, when I look today, available on the site. And there's a microphone icon at the bottom right corner of the show notes. If you'd like to leave me a message, make a suggestion for a guest, or have a question for a guest, Just tap on that microphone, leave me a message, and I'll be notified, and I'll get back to you. With that, like the readers she attracts, Sandy Hart is a seeker. As she shares in the introduction to the Liminal Odyssey, I figure this is just an idea that has been floating in the universe, waiting to bump into and burrow into someone who was a perfect specimen with a combination of life experience suffering, wild adventures, and insight. One who felt this exploration as a bigger responsibility to ride and or follow until it became meaningful. Once it identified me as a ripe recipient, it picked up speed and accelerated in my direction. As this concept was hurtling through space, it collected particles of other philosophies and wisdom from those I personally had the privilege of bumping into. Sandy Hart is an award-winning leader in the fields of women's empowerment and interfaith community building. She founded the Women's Interfaith International Grassroots Organization, SERA, the Spiritual and Religious Alliance app for hope, the morning of 9-11. An instinct to gather women of diverse faiths to protect all that they considered sacred, now in its 20th year. She founded and served as director for charters, for Compassion's Women and Girls Sector, served as a chair for the United Religions Initiative for North America, and serves on the Women's Task Force for the Parliament of World's Religions. She is also the co-founder, pardon me, also the founder of Compassionate California. Sandy is currently being inducted to the Women's Oral History Library of Claremont College. Sandy joins us to talk about the alchemy, alchemical power of fear. Welcome, Sandy. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. So happy to be back. Everybody, please have their liminal safety belts on. There could be uh, turns and jumps. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. I want to start by saying, wow, and congratulations. I see I got your email on the soon-to-be-released audiobook version of The Liminal Odyssey with the addition of music woven into the audiobook composed for each chapter by Jerry Littlejohn. Wow. Yeah. Speaking of adventures, recording your own audiobook. Bravo. (laughs) Wow. Who knew? (laughs) Wow is right. I sure didn't know. Uh, You know, it was following the yes, I guess, is what I'm really good at. Um, And I just kept saying yes. The next thing I know, I... Reached out to a friend who's a very well respected and loved and, um, composer and flute maker, Jerry Littleton, and asked her for one song that I could lace 
through the chapters, and after reading the book, she wanted to read the book first, she came back to me and said, no, I really need to create an entire album for this book. And so she is in the studio right now completing that album, but in the meantime, I have pieces of each song laced into each chapter representing the energy and the the feeling of that chapter. I mean, I could never have planned that. That's amazing. Yeah. Once it, again, you yeah. signed up for duty as the Liminal Odyssey cruise director. <laughs> you were the Captain Kirk of the Liminal Odyssey, and, you know, amazing job. Apparently so. Well, I <laughs> that power, you know, humbly. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, evidently you do. You're just stepping into it. It's it's a quantum field you haven't quite stepped fully into, really, but really you are. I mean, that's an amazing example. Doing an audiobook is just wow. <laughs> I've worked on those projects, and it is really amazing how it sounds so smooth and easy, but it really is an amazing amount of energy to do an audiobook. So, bravo. Thank you. And thank you to Gary Christmas, who really made it possible by letting me use the studio and um, just being my angel and cheerleader the whole way. So thanks for letting me get that out on the airwaves here. <laughs> that's wonderful. Having a real studio. Wow, that's a very exciting. That's an amazing idea, yeah. actually stepping into a real studio. I've created my own, but it's not a real sound studio. I do work with people in other studios, and when I walk in, it's always like, whoa, this is so quiet and amazing and dark. It's great. Oh, yeah. And you know what, um, Richard, what, what's so amazing in, uh, in that introduction, and thank you for reading the part of my introduction of the book, that like anything that's happened in this project, you know, the, the writing of the book, the discovering of this philosophy, and everything that's come from it, including Jerry's music and Gary showing up, um, uh, is the, that wants to happen, apparently, <laughs> with or without me. This project wanted to happen because of all these angels that have come out of the floorboards, out of the rafters, you know, out of the water lines, <laughs> to just show up to make this happen. I, I, I've never written a book before. I've never recorded an al- uh, a, a book before. I, you know, every part of this project has been you know, a maiden voyage and it's been, it's been a wild ride for sure. And it's not over. There's a guidebook coming out now. <laughs> There's a, yeah. And who, I can't wait to see what's next. I'm just, I keep saying yes. And it's amazing. I, I won't, I won't ask you about, because I know you've been asked this a thousand times, but in the previous show we've done, which I will put that link in the show notes because it's a one, two package. It's really great is who would imagine that this a dog would have changed your life to this extent, that you stepped into that field of what about the dog unexpectedly, and that has, led, that has led you to now recording your own audiobook of your story, <laughs> of your liminal odyssey. Like, really? Could you imagine somebody slipping you a note back when you were in that group of tens of thousands of people asking about the dog that you would be here now like, there are words that are bad on air that express like, wow, that's uh-huh. mind blowing. Yeah. And that's what this whole project is about. We all have potentially mind blowing uh, moments that can unfold and unpack and reveal and disclose the most remarkable life journey. And there are just some pretty simple processes to to apply and we can start noticing those moments that are magical and miraculous um i did in the moment but i can look back and go okay i see the recipe i see the secret sauce you know and um and to to make those moments that you know you find yourself in in a particularly interesting experience and just keep following the threads and they turn into magical stories. And next thing you know, you're writing a, a, a book. <laughs> with some, with a musician who's writing music for each chapter. That's what yeah, <laughs> I know. You stepped into the it. light, as you said in the, in your bio, it's you stepped into it and wow, 
boy, it just keeps showing up. It's really, it's really quite incredible. Yeah, thank you. I, I want to ask you, as a, I have some sort of, sort of what I would call foundational questions, just a few to get us into where we're going. We're, we're moving toward this amazing article that you wrote, The Alchemical Power of Fear. That's what this show is all about. It's about fear. And even though I say it in a jaunty tone, it's about fear. Is, remind us, please, what is liminal? Hmm. Yeah, is liminal. Yeah, liminal actually is a clunky word I hadn't heard of before a couple of years ago, um, and it means technically it means threshold or the space between here and there, um, the space between Christ and action and choice. It could be a liminal space like in a hallway. You know, where you don't know yet where you're going, but you know you've got to go in one direction or the other. Um, Or you're in a place where something feels familiar, but you can't really peg it. You know, that it's not defined yet. Um, That is the liminal space. And architects use that to describe hallways and staircases. So it's a word that's been around for a while. It was when I learned that word that that moment you were talking about um, amongst 100,000 people, when I asked the question, what about the dog, that, um, that I, I understood then, I, I could dive deeper into that experience now that I knew what the word liminal meant. I was like, wait, what was going on in that moment? And uh, it, just, it, it just expanded to... <laughs> unfathomable dimensions for me that ended up mm-hmm. unfolding 11 more stories. So um, that's <laughs> what liminal means, and that potential of recognizing liminality. But it's a word that's been around for a while. And where does reverent listening, that's a, mm-hmm. I can't remember if I read or heard you say that, but I think it's such mm-hmm. a powerful term. I think that for me, liminal, the liminal space and reverent listening really go together. So talk a bit about reverent listening, please. Yeah, the first time I heard the word reverent listening was from my friend uh, Patricia Farrow, who, um, who really demonstrates reverent listening. And so I not only learned this word, its true meaning, but I experienced it first time being listened to with reverence, with recognizing that when we are hearing somebody speak their truth, that's a holy moment. That's somebody, and we really sacralize it as uh, that important, that heavy, that full of grace, and, and what a privilege it is to be able to listen to somebody into, uh, there's a beautiful, a beautiful uh, a statement, poem, I guess you could call it. Um, it's a quote by Douglas Steer. It says, to listen another in another soul, to listen another soul into a condition of discovery and disclosure may almost be the greatest service one human being provides for another. Wow. It, it, yeah, that's, I know. I've, been, I've said that a hundred times. I can't believe I tripped over my own words there. <laughs> But um, but it's it works both ways to be the recipient and the listener, um, and so reverent listening is truly either listening to being listened to with in in a sacred manner, and and we're all well served when we listen to others. And when we recognize we're being listened to, and then what happens when we listen to ourselves with that same reverence? Yeah, that's yeah. the trick. <laughs> that, that's where that's where the where the where the juice is. That's where we really start unpacking stuff, include especially fear. You know, it's important to understand. And I'm so glad that you that you started out with with. Reverend, listening here in this conversation because it is really required before we can step off the platform into any conversation about anything really is how well are we listening to ourselves, to others, and how well do we feel listened to? What is that like? 
Well, and it seems like it's it feels to me that the one of the things I really like the term reverent listening is, and this is true of whether it's for ourselves or for others, that it seems like it it feels like it leads to trust or connectivity or an acknowledgement in the big picture. I didn't mean to go here so soon. Go to the big picture of community or interdependence. But we really are all in this together. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and tr- trust. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Please go. <laughs> Thank you. Trust, um, you know, a byproduct of feeling safe, right? And, um, and yeah, of course, we create the condition of trust when we are in communion with another. That's what happens when we're listening to another. When you're standing next to somebody and they're talking to you, you're in communion with them. Remember that. And when you are truly, when someone feels they can trust you, because first of all, you're listening to them and you care about what they're saying and you're not thinking about what you're going to say next because that's sort of the condition we've been duped into in a society, you have banter. You know, um, then um, it, it changes everything, and that definitely is scalable, and that definitely impacts, like you said, going big. It impacts everything. It impacts our relationships with our family, our role in our community. Are we just, you know, walking around in tra- a trance? Because that affects our community. It affects our whole planet. So. Um, yeah, it's trust is essential, uh, but that is a byproduct of reverent listening. But what a great byproduct. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. That's yeah. like in medications, they talk about side effects, although it was a lecture by Andrew Weil that he explained, really, there are no side effects. They're all effects. So he oh. doesn't use the term side effects ever in regard to Western medicine or medications. It's all effects. It's not like, oh, and plus you get this. And that's how I feel about this. You With reverent listening, and particularly, I think, in once we establish the rapport with others, how great to then want to do and strive to have that with ourselves, actually listen to ourselves. What a radical idea. Right. I can't make that into a question. It's just a bold statement. Right, right, right. I, I, yeah, I relate it to my soul. You know, I relate to my soul if it helps to put a face on it or what have you, and however you identify as your inner wisdom or your higher source. Um, and um, the for me, it's my soul. And I feel like my soul lights up when I when it's being listened to. And I'm like, really, is that mm-hmm. what I think? Is that the assumption I'm really going to live in? Is, is this really, you know, truly how I feel, how I believe? Am I, am I like, um, am I duping myself? Am I hustling here? Because I I am a, quite the hustler. You know, I come out of the sales field before 9-11, um, where my DNA completely rearranged, and next thing I know, I'm a community builder gathering women. Uh, I was the director of and marketing for a major home builder. So I come out of that, mm. that conditional sales, you know, hustle. And, you know, so I'm constantly asking myself today, is, am I hustling? Do I really want to show up for this thing, or is it because there's something in it for me. These are the, I'm just sharing with you what I'm literally going through myself. And these are the questions I've really started asking myself lately. Because I'm not serving myself or anybody if I'm not being, if I'm not truly listening to myself and being honest with myself. And that's what I call integrity. So, yeah, it's all an effect of, of listening. I love that. Taking the word side out, that's really powerful. I think so, too. I think that speaking truth is really powerful. And the truth has to start from within. You, know, you can see or smell people. I spend a lot of time with dogs, so there are a lot of dog-like references. And you can, you, know, you can see a dog. I had the privilege of living with a Labrador for years. 
And <laughs> that is some of the true, most truthful, you know, looks and like, really, you're doing what? Look from the dog or communication from a dog when you're out walking. I learned it a lot by walking with a dog. The sense mm. of, you know, smell and sound and just gathering information. They're always on alert in some way. But if they're at their end of a lead and they trust you and you trust them, we're bonded together. It's the most reverent listening I've had is with a dog because we were <laughs> totally in it together. If there was a car or a noise or a thing, we were both like, what's that? I learned to pay attention to a lot of things that I had not previously paid attention to being in the forest with her because she was like hearing things and I'd then turn and stick my nose in the wind and go, Oh wow, that's what that is. So reverent listening is available everywhere. And being in nature in reverent listening is really mind blowing. I think in the best of ways, what the, what we oh. can hear and sense and have from nature is such a grounding and beneficial place. Nature is really on our side. If we just stop being mean nature (laughs) i'll say oh i can spend an hour on that conversation for sure well we let's remember we are nature we are nature (laughs) we've we've we have the superiority complex for nature but nature really um we come from nature our bodies are designed in the most amazing, complex way, just like the roots of a tree or a mushroom, you know, or the life of a mushroom. I mean, come on. I mean, we're not machines that, that have dominion. We, we, come, we learned that we could have dominion if we abuse our power, and that's what we have been doing since the agrarian age, where we've taken far more than we give back, and for our pleasure and for our consumerism and for our convenience, I mean, gosh, just, you know, catch the next time you take, you know, a styrofoam cup out of a market, out of a, from a, a fast food restaurant. Um, as a matter of fact, I won't go to fast food restaurants that have styrofoam just because of the impact on the environment. And I don't need to contribute. I can go get, you know, my diet soda somewhere else. <laughs> So those are the sort of little, <laughs> that's listening. It's just stopping and paying attention to to your effect on the world and, and, and taking cues from nature. Nature knows how to listen to each other. When one tree in a forest is dying, other trees send nutrients its way. It's fascinating um, how nature responds in listening to one another. And it, of course, it's, they listen in a different way, but it's all relative. You know, we can find relevance anywhere we look. The power of listening um, and what fear does to us um, as well. Anything, just look into nature and see the relevance. Well, I think nature is, again, this is something I was saving for later, but I think that nature is just a mind-blowing positive example of interdependence mm-hmm. or what we used to just call community but interdependence sounds so much more like interdependence but it's really true i mean nature is a shining amazing example of being in relationship to itself it really just you know things die in the forest and the forest takes care of that and recycles them or Things, yeah, it's just nature is an amazing thing. Regenerative farming. That's, as you said, that's a whole other show. Sometime we can do a whole <laughs> show talking about agriculture and what are we oh. thinking? How can we be doing this to the planet that is our spaceship through this cosmos? All right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's another show. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a great one. And I want to add one more thing and then I'm going to get to the real thing. This is all the real thing. Would you talk a bit about thresholds? I think that's a great term. I, again, heard you say or write. I can't remember which. But thresholds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we find ourselves thresholds all day long, really. Big ones, little ones, momentary ones, spacious ones. Um, we're in a threshold right now as a civilization, science and quantum physicists are all, you know, acknowledging that we're in a 
quantum shift. We're moving into a second quantum um, uh, revolution right now where we are, our, the, the heartbeat of our planet is speeding up and our, and a lot of believe and visionaries believe that our minds are catching up to our spirituality because of all of this. So we are in an epoch shift. So there is an example of a threshold where between here and there um, and also to land choice. But all of these things invite our agency, invite us to be as fit as we can be to navigate this birth canal we are in. Think of a threshold as a birth canal. What decision are you going to make and how is it going to be on the other side? You know, even if it means um, making a choice between two alternatives, then you know, really being careful, full of care, and taking the time, I call, I coined the word timefulness. Uh, we know how to be mindful, but let's be timeful and slow down to the, to the uh, speed of on wonder about what's going on and what our choices are and where's our integrity and are we truly listening and are we coming from fear? Um, and, and what is our outcome going to result in? What will the effect be of our, um, of our outcome? And that's what a threshold invites us to do. A threshold is an invitation to step into, not over those moments. We're duped. We've been conditioned to believe we make decisions rapidly. And and it's a sign of intelligence even that we, we know how to make a decision real quickly because we have all the criteria and we can function and we can process things really quickly here. This we're really doing ourselves soul and our brain and our mind in um, um, our parasympathetic nervous system uh, an incredible disservice and that's leading to incredible anxiety and just depression and um, senses of worthlessness and you know, uh, you know, mental. The, and I, by the way, I please allow me to say this right now. I should say I am not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a a, a, a doctor of any sort or a, a professional in the field of psychology in any way other than a philosopher. Um, but this is my. This is what makes sense to me. It's what I spend my life paying attention to. And these are my opinions. And if they resonate with you, they're your opinions as well. So I feel safe sharing them with you. But when, but we, we, I, I invite us all to look for those thresholds and, and just slow down and say, even especially on TV, Richard, oh, my gosh, commercials. If you watch network television or any, well, what am I saying? Any, any television these days is inundated with commercials. Ask yourself, is that really going to make me thin, pretty, or rich? You know, is it, and by the way, those commercials are 15 seconds. Throw, I don't know, 20 of them at you in a five-minute. Don't make me do the math. But you know what I'm saying? You get just inundated with all these really quick, buy this, buy me, love me. You know, you, you know you'll give us your money and you will have these riches of, this embarrassment riches, I should say. Um, which is so unrealistic, and we've lost sight of what's really important. And the answer is in the threshold, we just slow down. A long time ago, I have a – well, he's still around, but I, he, we live in different parts of the country now. And he would talk about using the doorway, every doorway you pass through as a moment to pause and breath, take a breath. And I put that in the same category of thresholds. I think each moment is a potential and back to your reverent listening, if we're listening to ourselves in a reverent way, actually paying attention, there are lots of opportunities, like you with the book. Again, if we did a flowchart of where you are now with the book, with this amazing flautist writing songs for every chapter, like, <laughs> wow, there must be some, res- it just feels like there's reverent listening going on there in the entire field for all that to just flow into place. It looks so easy and effortless. It's not really. It is and it isn't. It's that fascinating 
Right. When you hang out with people like Amachi or that's just a name that comes to mind, who are these great meditational masters who emanate a certain sense of calm. And that's really what they emanate. They're not making it up. They're not faking that. They are really that essence of calm. And in that moment of calm is a lot of opportunity. Again, I cannot form that into a question, but I know you have something to say. <laughs> <laughs> I always have something to say, Richard. Uh, it, and, you know, it, you can actually cultivate that skill if you weren't born with what a lot of these ascended masters and these masters of meditation and those who show us what it looks like when you're there. Um, I discovered that it can be practiced through neuroplasticity. It's that it is easy. Um, and what makes it easy is recognizing the fear in it because it's the, and let me say with all, what I, you know, I just said it's easy. Um, recording the audio book and, and I did all the editing myself and I, and I edited in the music and then I re-edited. <laughs> it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. It was so packed with love and joy. I loved every second of that painstaking experience because it, uh, it was, I just knew I was being picked up and carried on. <laughs> this is something I, was, I should be doing. It was making, it, it was worth the while. Um, and so, I, and I, that comes actually from this, that came from practice. That came from recognizing reverent listening by practicing timefulness, by remembering to slow down. I didn't wait until I was in a crisis or wait until I was, you know, um, I would have been facing, you know, on the floor have with some of the things that presented themselves to me in the, in the editing of this, of this audio book, for example. Or a lot of things that I've done in the last year, had it not been for me practicing the very things that I'm mentioning, because I had to practice them because I'm actually, you know, in the book, writing and editing the book. So I'm living them over and over and over again. And it was because of that process of writing the book that I discovered that you could actually cultivate these. So I love that you said every doorway is the potential for slowing down. And one of the practices is stop. Maybe it's every time you're in a doorway to just give it a second, right? Take a deep breath. Go, what's going on in my body? How am I feeling? Am I regulated? Am I not? <sighs> Take a breath, maybe an out, an out loud, and then move on. Literally 15 seconds. But you do that Every time you find yourself what I call an anchor place in your home, threshold is the best place. It has like a, a double entendre there. And practice that. Just do that, you know, and see if it works for you. But, but do it for 21 days, several times a day. For me, um, I, when, I, when I do this in workshops, I use the, 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 uh, the, the suggestion every time you go into the restroom, which we do about five times a day. Use that time too. Find something you do all the time, and and practice that little take, taking your moment and um, at that threshold, and just practice it and see what happens. Watch it. Watch what the effect is. I think that's the theme of this call: the effect. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're jumping here. Everybody, hold on. It's a moment. How did the Alchemical Power of Fear article or piece that you wrote come up, occur? Was it something you just stepped into? Was there an aha moment? It's an amazing piece. And I will post the link to that directly in the show note. And there's a wonderful video right at the end of that. And so how did that come about? No, I've been thinking a lot about... Um, about what's going on in our world right now and recognizing that there are two motivating factors in life, love and fear. Um, and that's arguably the truth. <laughs> love and fear we either are either moving in the direction of love or away from fear. No matter how you slice and dice it, you find it comes that way. And 
And so, of course, the stress and the um, and the um, anxiety and all of you know, the the oh, the heaviness that's, that we're hearing and oh, my teen suicide and you know um, the despair so many people are feeling. And then add to that, you know, what normally comes with the holidays and the darkness when we go when the when we ch- uh, turn our clocks and the, it gets darker. You know, the days get shorter. So that leads to some depression too. So what in the world could I I have to say about this time? And I just spoke my truth. And for me, it was it was really unpacking that fear, that um, and really looking at fear. I think fear is on a bad rap. Actually, I think I you know I don't know if anyone will disagree when I say that you know we're all wired to with fear. Fear is part of our survival mechanism. Fear is what's, you know, kept us evolving, you know, since primordial man, you know, we have been, you know, we have, we use fear to run from saber tooth tigers, you know, and fear to protect our communities and fear to run from the Nazis. I mean, however you look at it, fear is there to protect us. Um, Yet, it's clever in a way that we've we've done ourselves a disservice to become out of balance with fear. And back to what I was saying about consumerism, we have been conditioned to be fearful in in the world for me or else by this or else, you know, um, you know, love me or else. It's pervasive that way. Um, it's seeped itself into society, you know, be skinny or else. <laughs> um, and, and so I, let's look, let's take fear um, and look at it in a different light because it's going to continue to, um, as I say, in that video you're referring to, it's going to cloak itself in all kinds of garments of distrust and insignificance, you know, you're insignificant or unworthiness. It's going to cloak itself. It's just going to keep adding layers so you stay there. That's what our psyche is going to, it's tricking our psyche to believe that we can't make a decision on our own. And, um, yeah, so I, I think what inspired me was just sort of recognizing, yeah, this is all fear of what's going on right now. And then remembering some of those skills. And and I, that, that neuroplasticity I mentioned earlier and the skills that I mentioned in the book that are really life lessons that I don't, yeah. Um, they, um, we, want, we want to learn them or practice them, cultivate them, build muscle with them before we need them, right? You know, mm-hmm. you don't decide to go run a marathon and then jump on the, you know, jump, jump in line and start running, right? You have to work it out. You got to, or you got to work out those muscles. And for me, I, I, it's like I can't say enough about practicing, reverent listening, practicing, you know, these these things, so that when you find yourself dipping into despair, you remember, start calling up those things that help you through, and you're you know the uh, the chances of you rising above it are far greater i i not i admit that i'm going i've you know experiencing this myself that's that was a true inspiration i should have started with that the true inspiration is i'm feeling this stuff right and it's like oh wow you know last year i felt the same stuff or throughout covid and Canceling my daughter's wedding and all kinds of drama that happened over you know other things, the elections that were going on, that you know the division of our country, um, financial you know troubles, things like that, all those sort of things that land in our lap in life. Um, I realized, wow, they they're not hitting me that hard. They're there, but wow, I can really get through them and just you know work myself through them much more rapidly. And the one visual for me, which I mentioned in that article, is a lesson I learned from growing up at the beach. 
and my relationship, my love affair with Grandmother Ocean. Um, and, you know, if you've ever been toppled by you know, the waves, you know you get spun into this upsy-turvy, uncontrollable frenzy. And all you could do is just relax. And then you learn very quickly if you can get down to the ground, down to where the sand is, all that turbulence will wash over you. And then it will sweep back one final try <laughs> that it's lost its power. And then you can accept to taking a breath and seeing the daylight, literally. Yeah. I'm so glad and that article is great. It's a, it's a very great great read the short what i would call a meditation at the very moment although it's a visual is really wonderful and as i say i'm going to put all that in the show notes and i want to i too want to say you know fear has a function in the human system it it might date back to running out of the cave and not getting eaten by the pterodactyl and getting back with food trying to find something that you could actually kill that was smaller than you and bring back to eat However, we're not there now, and there's a, boy, I almost used a bad word, just a bunch of blipverts, as Max Hedrum would say, on TV, short advertisements. They might be 15 seconds where they're just filled with future speaking, when you get old, you need to be on this, or are you on this medication, are you on that medication, or that, da, 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 versus Maybe you should go out in nature and take a walk and calm down and clear your head and envision a, something different. Step through a different portal, a different doorway. Step into the liminal odyssey. There are lots of, I'm not saying medications aren't valid. Uh, as people know, I mm-hmm. put them over there in their own category. I'm more of an herbally oriented person. However, fear does have a function. When you hear those screeching tires, look up and get out of the way. <laughs> However, there aren't that many screeching tires, really. And I think one of the powerful things in your work is, yes, there is fear. Yes, it is valid. However, there's just a boatload of opportunities. Like I remember, I think when we last time we talked, we used the phrase, sort of agreed on the phrase, thanks COVID, which is creepy <laughs> unto itself. However, it really does give us the opportunity to, I'm hoping, come back to that place of understanding that we are a community of humanoids on this spaceship. Again, I don't have that in a question. I'm sorry. But I know you have things to say. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I And I'm glad that you brought up the medicinal conversation because I yeah, just it comes down to questioning assumptions, right? Um, why is Lipitor and all of these <laughs> all of these medications that it would have been unheard of for a patient to you know to, to recommend to their doctor? Their doctor should be recommending it to them. It would be unheard of to see these sort of commercials on um, television, right? This is something, you know, that your doctor is going to prescribe it. Now, we are the consumers. They're coming directly to the consumers and saying, buy our stuff and tell your doctor you want this product. And so we can start questioning assumptions and looking around and going, how did we get here, right? And um, you can go back to, I mentioned earlier, the agrarian age, um, where we, you know, value uh, the medicinal qualities of earth. We didn't have anything else, and somehow we still survived. And then look at the burning times, you know, the, the, the late 1400s, early 1500s, um, which is also known as the largest female genocide in the, in the world. Um, um, and that would have been when women were burned at the stake, as witches, and by the way, witch translates into Wicca, and Wicca comes from the, the name Wicca, and Wicca means wise. So these wise women who were the who were the women of the community that we looked up to, that we went and got medicine from, and by the way, you could tell who they were because they were the ones that wore the big tall black hats. So at the point at the end, 
Yeah. And then what happened? Right? The fear set in. And and men started seeing them as a threat, as being too powerful, having too much power. So they reduced them and called them crones. And by the way, crone is a compliment. Crone is an archetype, according to God, goddess culture. Crone means you are wise. You are you you are comfortable in who you are. You um, have shed all those garments of of falsehoods. <laughs> and you can just see, you know, that that wise old woman grandma, perhaps, that you think of when you think of going to somebody for advice. That's a crone right there. So look at what, what our society has done to not only earth and, and duping us to believe we have um, dominion over it, her, I should say it, because she's a living, breathing organism, and women, look what this has done to women. And then women believe it for so long, right? And many of us still do. I still even catch myself in patterns of patriarchy. So, and domination over and those sort of conditions, right? I was raised in the 60s. My, you know, I could get a checking account without my dad's signature, you know, when I was a young, a young gal. So, um, yeah, <laughs> imagine that. Right? So that's wow. what we can fear. That all comes from fear. So fear is pervasive. It's still woven into the fabric of who we are. But we actually have agency for that. We can build capacity to, to rise above this condition and then recognize it in ourselves. And we do that by recognizing it in ourselves, basically. It's that easy. Stop at the threshold mm-hmm. and take yeah. a breath. There's a great comment by somebody in chat who's saying that, uh, I agree, fear serves an authentic purpose for survival. But today, fear has become a commodity as seen in newspapers and news broadcasts. You could call them fear papers and fear broadcasters. And I couldn't oh, agree more. Thank oh, thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. That's their job. That's what keeps them on the air. What would it look like if they said, nothing to worry about here, nothing to see here, folks? <laughs> yeah. Go watch I Love Lucy. <laughs> right? There was a time yeah. in newspapers, I think in darker rooms in the older newspaper world, there used to be a term that if it bleeds, it leads. And then oh, that, sure. that was an actual newspaper, whatever, moniker or thought of like, here's the drama, where's the drama, how can we crank up the drama? And it's a thing. It's not, you don't see a lot of stories about puppies and kittens. And I'm, that's just an example. Maybe lambs not walking lambs. around. Pick something peaceful. Being in nature. Look at that. Wow, nature. Look at that. We don't see a lot of that being promoted. We see a lot of, oh, my God, are you taking this yet? <laughs> that's right. Um, it's sort of like those endorphins start racing when you start seeing something scary. You know, they're ca- yeah. it's addictive. It really is. When Sarah, our women's interfaith community building group, when we'd go out into the community and do something pretty spectacular, if you don't mind me saying, I mean, we, we did some really great things with galvanizing, you know, thousands of people uh, out to hundreds of service projects, for example. And we would say, how come we can't get the newspaper to write about us? We used to say, tell them there will be blood. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. tell them that there that there's going to be, you know, there's going to be controversy of, or, you know, what have you. Um, we didn't do that. <laughs> we didn't do that. But, but yeah, it's so true when it more leads. You got to keep out those uh, Yeah. And I want to, this fits right in that I've, I've heard or read you say, you practice raising your vibration to the level of the solution. Mm. Please talk mm-hmm. about that. I love that. Yeah, I heard that from Dr. Rev, uh, Reverend, Reverend Michael Beckwith. Raise the, your vibration to the level of the solution, right? So often we stop in fear and like, oh, what could happen? And 
um, oh, this is terrible and victimize and uh, think of all of those things. Again, we've been conditioned to think. Instead, what's the solution? And then imagine you literally raising your vibration. Literally, if you could control your vibration, what would that feel like? Try that. And then start thinking of the solution. And then start changing your, um, and this is where we really can um, shock our nervous system, that parasympathetic nervous system. It's biology, folks. This is not just a philosophy. This is what happens when we change our state, right? If you have to snap your fingers, if you have to do a jumping jack, you have to splash cold water in your face, change your vibration in that moment. Change your state with the ideal of the solution that you're seeking. And by the way, make sure that that solution you are seeking is in what I, I love this expression, in life self-interest. Mm. It serves me and it serves you. And because it serves you, it serves me and vice versa. So that's what it means to raise viper and you're gonna and you're gonna amp up your vibration even higher when you're thinking in those in that way. And it's it's retraining your brain to think in that direction and think in that way at that at that level. We have that choice, you know. Oh, we have choice? They don't want us to know that. <laughs> Sorry. Not if they you know, that's why we keep giving them fear, you know, fast, hurry. On. And again, you know, I tune into the news to get the information, but I turn it right off, right, um, after I get what I need. Because you notice, you know, they just repeat the same stuff in a different way to keep you there. So, yeah, choose choose what we focus on. We, we do become what we think. Now, uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton, uh, who was formerly a cell biologist, uh, now he's, I believe he may still be practicing, but he definitely is a spiritual um, a leader, a visionary, a thought leader. You can just Google him, L-I-P-T-O-N, Dr. Bruce Lipton. And he discovered that gene activation happens outside of the cells, not in the cells themselves. You know, we have 37,000, I'm sorry, 37 trillion cells in our body. And each one of them has got an intelligence. And in, in that intelligence, it now is discovered that they are informed by what happens outside of the cell, in between the cells. And guess what that is? That's our thoughts. So our thoughts create our reality. Our gene activation is really what drives who we are and how we think. And how we think and who we are starts with how we think. <laughs> so it's actually the other way around than we believed than we believed in the past. It's really powerful. So believe it and you will see it. Um, I think Wayne Dwyer said something to that effect. He didn't say that, but he said something to that effect. You know, and start thinking at the solution, level of the solution. Yeah. I, I first interviewed uh, Bruce Lipton after his uh, the biology of belief and I saw him I saw him at a lecture huh. shortly after he released that book at a small couple hundred people conference before he was a big name and I watched him do a demonstration at this small group showing how DNA RNA interact using PVC piping swinging together with a cl- awkward kind of model that he built that kept falling apart it was part of his thing but the wonderful, wonderful things, and I've interviewed him about two or three times since then, uh-huh. down through the years, and to watch him evolve in terms of going from being, talking about RNA, DNA, which is still all there, but now he's become much more leaning toward your liminal side of big picture cosmic thinking, which I think is wonderful. And it was from him that I learned about that our receptor sites, our, G, our hormone system is based, based on receptor sites in the cells. And the cells are keyed to receive certain things, like a, like a cell that's built to receive adrenaline or cortisol will not take something else. It's really looking for that. Mm-hmm. And it was from that picture that he really talked about, our, he really slowly spoke to the very first lecture back then when he was just dancing in this field. He was talking to a bunch of practitioners, some MDs, 
some alternative practitioners, and he was saying, really, our cells have receptor sites. And he said, I really want you to think about what that means. Our cells are receptive. They have little antennas. They're receptive to the field. And then years later, we've had multiple conversations about that. That's really our cells are listening. That was mine. That our cells are listening. So what we keep telling them, they're paying attention. So we keep saying fear, death, fear, death, fear, death. Oh, my God. Fire, fire, fire. The cells are going to be exhausted at some point. Whereas, and I'm not saying you are going to walk into, well, I'd never walk into a ring and fight a bull. Why would you do that? (laughs) in a fearful situation. Sorry, it was a bad example. Um, But, you know, some fearful situation, you go in knowing that, but then you go out and shake it off and walk in nature. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't have a question there, but it's just an observation of our cells are listening. They're trying to work with us. They're happy to receive our information and the kind of material you're talking about. We can step through that doorway and have a mo- an opportunity, a liminal moment of opportunity. In 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 my in my chapter with the subtitle "Mind for Matter to the Power of You," I start that chapter off, which is actually I talked a little bit about this in some um, actual experiences I had where I made a decision, something was going to happen, some gates were going to open. And I kept walking into the gates, and they, they did open. <laughs> I could have smashed my nose, but they did open. Um, the, you know, and so that's that story. But um, I start this chapter off with a little exchange between myself and Augustine. Um, and I was, she's a friend, and I was telling her, you know, every cell in my body is bouncing off my intestinal walls, running amok. Who hasn't felt that? You know, like you're just totally dysregulated and you know you're vibrating, right? You've, you've had that feeling before, right? Brenda said to me, Dear, those are your, one, I'm sorry, 37 trillion cells waiting for your direction, which is hmm. exactly what you just said. So, um, I, what I'll do when I feel that way is I'll just close my eyes wherever I am, sit down, if I'm not already sitting down, and just say, ah, come to mother. You know, everyone in line, and lovingly and graceful. And it doesn't take very long at all for all of that to settle down, for them to all just mellow. You feel it in real time. This isn't some concept that's way out there. You can it in in a hot second when you sit down and give it some time. The more you do it, the quicker it happens, of course. But you can experience it yourself. It's, it's beautiful to witness. It really is. It's, it, to, become, to come into relationship with your body in this way, to recognize that you are your body, you know, your brain is not separate from your body. Your body is not just a machine. It actually functions with you and your mind collectively. Uh, it's quite beautiful. It's really wonderful. This is a very quirky example of, I believe, what you're talking about. Everybody hang on. It's going to get weird for a second. When sumo wrestlers go into a match, the referee watching the match will not start the battle until they are in synchronous breathing patterns. the, The ref... Whatever, I know he's not called a ref, but whatever that person is called, watches and holds the moment. Because sometimes when you, I have friends who happen to love watching similar wrestling, because it is an amazing thing. But the, but the setup is they will not start that match until they come into a synchronous relationship of breath. And at that moment, the battle starts. And to me, that, that also relates to when I've seen people in martial arts fights or demonstrations or fights, it's the same thing. They come into a moment of there. Well, watch, let's jump to Bruce Lee. If you watch Bruce Lee, even of on ca- off-camera footage of Bruce Lee, the moment at which he would go into a battle, 
he would be absolutely there in that moment. He's not thinking about did he take his meditation this morning or did he leave the hot water heater, you know, the hot water on the stove. He's completely in that moment. And I think that's where the liminal odyssey also occurs is in that moment, those opportunity moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, you know, I don't have a response to that. That's just beautiful. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> I know. It's a weird, <laughs> as I said, it's a weird, it's, a, it's just a weird, quirky, <laughs> like, wow, look at that. Who yeah, knew? Just Coming into really synchronous, beautiful... synchronization. Synchronization. Yeah. Well, we start, well, let's practice breathing in rhythm with our planet. Our planet has a heartbeat, ma- heart mouth you know, measures its heartbeat, mm. her heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, she really does have a heartbeat, and it has to be at the same rate as the human heartbeat. So mm-hmm. what happens when we start thinking about oh, slowing down to the heartbeat of our planet, right? There comes that relationship to our natural world. Go out into nature and think about what's going on. Feel the earth under your feet, right? And what is that like? Or when you meditate and you plant your feet, I don't plant my feet. I plug my feet in. I think of them as the end of an electric socket, you know, when you're going to plug into a plug, into the wall. I take my two feet and plug them into the floor. Just that visual immediately creates this, a, a charge of currency up my up past my ankles, and I can start feeling the energy flow back and forth. It's sacred reciprocity when we can do that. But, of course, you know, the um, I'm going to say here the Japanese have truly such a sacred manner of doing so many things that we take for granted, like mm-hmm. starting a match. It turns it into an art. It really makes it more sacred. It creates, a, you know, sumo wrestling, I'm going to have to go watch it now. <laughs> it's now it, it's not such a sport. It's an art. And that's mm-hmm. how, and that's, yeah, that's really beautiful. I'm stunned to find I have so many other thoughts, but I'll stop now because we've come to the point where I need to ask you, where would you like people to find out more about your work? I will put in the show notes the link to this wonderful article on fear. Thank you. And where can people, can people pre-order your audiobook with soundtrack yet? Uh, it's any day now. So come to liminalodyssey.com and just on the newsletter and you'll be notified when it's there. Yeah. You do. And, you also, um, and yeah. can, they, can you tell people for a moment your kitchen table conversations? Because you've started doing some shows of your own. I have. I have. You know, I, um, about a year or so ago, I realized that I was really, you know, having – you know, it was actually perhaps even your show where you, the, this level of comfort um, that you, is, I feel like I'm just sitting at my kitchen table with you. And that's where the hardiest, most nutrient-rich conversations happen. And then I started thinking about, well, how can I further explore these 11 to 12? There's actually more than that. Principles, skills, tools, however you to call them, lessons. Um, how can I start exploring, you know, in a deeper way with others um, the, the topics of sacred listening, of timefulness, of forgiveness, of this conversation we've been having about nature, of cultivating synchronicities, of the goddess archetype, all of these things that really help us cultivate us being in our full integrity. And so I started thinking, you know, I have a lot of friends. <laughs> Let's start there. And so that's what the kitchen table conversations are. You know, we really don't have much of an agenda. And we cover this topic according to the expert in the field or the visionary thought leader um, in in that particular field. So that's the intention of it. And And yeah, the next kitchen table conversations coming up in the next uh, couple of weeks. So again, all of that information is on our news- is on the newsletter that gets sent out um, every week. Thank you so much, Sandy. I know we could start the ball rolling over again and do another hour. 
<laughs> I, <laughs> because, yeah. I do too. There's so many, oh boy, so many areas. Uh, agriculture. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I know, right? Right. There's a world there. Well, thank you, Richard. This has just completely flown by. Talk about mind blown. I really, <laughs> really appreciate yeah. this. I, I really do uh, love being here. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much. And everybody else, have a great rest of the weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.